you one and all. Hello and officially welcome to The Reset Show, episode number five. Summer has slipped away and autumn has arrived and of course COVID continues to cast a cloud over our daily lives. So thank goodness for our guest today, the leadership consultant, coach, writer and all around absolutely lovely human being, Helena Clayton. So hello to you, Helena. Thanks for joining our People Lab Love Shack today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So we'll be talking to Helena more in a moment. Uh, just to introduce my co-travellers on the love train are, of course, Belinda from Fathom XP, Emma and Katie from People Lab, and myself, Justin McCarran from Everyday Resilience, as well as the people uh, who are joining the call live. And of course, if you're watching this recording on YouTube or listening on our Check It Out, our new podcast, which you can download from all the main platforms such as iTunes, Amazon, or Spotify. Other platforms are available. That's the introduction. Um, welcome, thank you, and uh, over to you, Emma. Thanks, Justin. So um, for those of you that are new to the research show, um, we created this as a space and a place where we can come together to talk about, share ideas, share you know, what, what we're up to in terms of the, the way the world of work is changing. So we are six months into the pandemic now and it's an ever moving feast and we're kind of getting into this adapt and renew phase. So we kind of reacted and we're looking now at how we can really use this as an opportunity to, to, to make the world of work better for all of us. So it's a unique opportunity to, to improve the way we both live and work. Absolutely delighted to have Helena join us today. So thank you, Helena. Um, and Helena's going to talk about the role of, of, of love in the workplace, which we're really interested in. It's such a kind of a new area and a really super interesting area. Um, and B, I know that you obviously have a connection with Helena. So I'm going to hand over to you to get the conversation started. Thank you. Yeah, um, Helen and I were just briefly talking about this before. I think it's it's coming up to possibly 10 years ago that I met Helena when I did um, a residential course at the Management Training Centre, Rocky Park, and it was a course on facilitation, advanced facilitation techniques. And it was quite unlike anything I had ever experienced before. It was just wonderful. It opened up a whole new way of thinking about people and working with people and what that actually means. So it took me in a completely different place. And I think um, Hannah and I have since bumped into each other probably once a year at Meaning Conference, which is a fantastic um, annual conference in Brighton about better business. So we stayed in touch that way. So I'm I'm so happy to, to be having this conversation with Helen. I've followed, followed your work. Um, so the more formal introduction for people that haven't met Helena before. So um, leadership consultant, 25 years experience, um, designing and running um, innovative leadership and development programs. Um, so a coach, thinking partner and critical friend for leaders. I'd love to explore more about that. And also um, really increasingly well known for your really innovative work, researching, writing, and speaking about the role that love could, or in fact should play within organizations and beyond. And I know that you've got some new stuff coming out that you're launching this month on that. So we'd love to talk a bit more about that. Before we get into the depths of the work and, and what it means, how on earth did you get started with this? Mm, yeah, thank you, Belinda, and really good to be here. Uh, well, let me see if I can kind of shorten it. So yeah, 25 years in leadership development, but also um, 25 years roughly in parallel in um, 
kind of personal growth work. So in my 20s, I started working with a therapist and realized, oh, flip, there was a whole like, <laughs> there was a whole thing called inner work. Um, so through my 20s and 30s, 40s, I'm 56 now, I've always kept that thread going. And for the last sort of 10 years, uh, most of it has been through um, experiential, quite immersive, often quite cutting edge, um, personal growth workshops. Um, all of which have a, um, a, a, a spiritual heart, I guess. And what I kept seeing there uh, was that um, when people were struggling with something, where there was pain, there was suffering, um, people were carrying loads of stuff around with them that was really getting in their way, there was trouble. When that was met with love, healing took place. It, I mean, it was just that simple. It's like meet anything with love and something shifts, something happens. Mm -hmm. So I was seeing that. Then in my work strand, I was seeing organizations that some were loving, most were at best kind of full of benign neglect and thoughtlessness, and at worst were kind of harsh and very unloving. And I was trying to make sense of these two worlds really because it was the same people who would pitch up on one of these weekends, who would then put on a suit and be part of that corporate culture. You know, it was the, it, it's the same. So that just got me thinking, wow, if we are really hardwired for love, which I think we are, how come it's just, <laughs> it's just not available or let in or talked about or part of the thing in organizational life? So that's the, the shortest version, I think, of what, me, what got me started in, to get interested in this. Yeah. Mm, fascinating. And I know, and in, in your report, um, and we were just talking about it before, that, you know, that it actually hasn't been an easy task to necessarily pursue that in a straight line, and that you've had lots of people, I don't want to say throwing you off course, if that's quite the right language, but tell me about that bit of the journey, and about how you've had to sort of stay strong on focus on love. Well, the first, I, I've been looking at this now for maybe three or four years, but maybe two or three years. But prior to that, a couple of years before I'd started to, to I said to, to a group of people, oh, I'm gonna start researching love. And I know this sounds a bit dramatic, but I was, um, I was slightly shamed for it. I, I, I know nobody can make me feel, but I was made to feel a bit ridiculous for doing it. And I let myself get small. I let myself think, oh, what a stupid idea. That's right, you know, that's, that's just stuff. So I put it away in a drawer um, and then it, it never quite went away. And then three or four years later, it came back again. And um, one, maybe I was stronger in myself and bolder, more courageous, um, more of a effort, you know, kind of attitude. But also I think maybe the times had changed as well. And there were more, there was a bit more curiosity around. And of course, even now things have shifted with COVID because I think the door's been you know, bust open. Um, so, I, yeah, so I think the time is certainly right now for um, conversations like this. Amazing. So, so in, tell us what, what does love bring to organisations? What, what, can, what can it offer to organisations? So in 2018, I did a piece of online research and I asked a version of exactly that, you know, what with more love, what could be possible here? And the responses were in kind of three chunks, really. One was about self. People said, with more love, uh, you know, I would shine more brightly. I'd be a better version of myself. You know, so there was a really clear sense that I would just be a better me. Yeah. Uh, and if I'm a better me, I can be more and do more. Um, the second one was, um, oh, a link to that one actually was, 
uh, and I would feel safe. With more love, I would feel safe. And when I feel safe, then I don't have to waste energy making myself feel safe. I can use that energy on, you know, the taking more risks and experimenting. So there was something about, I would feel safe, which was really lovely and big. Another stream was around, um, we'd collaborate more. There was more love around here. We'd fight less, we'd, you know, we'd compete less. Um, would be more less fearful of each other so there'd be much more collaboration and then the kind of final chunk was and with more collaboration then we can really start to solve the big intractable problems so people talked about more creativity and more innovation um, and they talked about it it would be infectious you know it would be contagious when there was more love it would just spread so yeah it was beautiful actually and very rich amazing and mm. So interesting to hear. Justin, Justin's our res, uh, resident resilience coach. That's quite difficult to say, resident resilience. Um, <laughs> resident resilience coach. What's coming up for you? Just these ideas around um, being able to shine more brightly. What a beautiful mm -hmm. thought. And, and, and safety and, um, and being bigger. I think, you know, in, in some ways, you, for, for me, my approach to resilience is... is always to try and swap a different word for it anyway, because resilience has got so many different meanings. It it, in itself, it has a, a meaning in, in, in a kind of scientific session uh, sense in terms of actual, the resilience of an object, uh, you know, elasticity and all of that. And that doesn't really apply to human beings. Um, so I remember read, I read a lovely book by Eric Greitens, I've mentioned before called about resilience. And he, he just talks about this notion of bouncing back He's like, well, where are you bouncing back from and to? He's like, that's just, that you know, it, we're not we're not on this linear path. You know, there's the, the we're we're in this constantly evolving present moment. So you can't. It's sort of that. It doesn't apply to us anyway. Sorry, uh, you asked me a, a very lovely question, and I think for me, uh, what you're saying, um, Helena, rings a lot of bells bells for me. Is when you really start to dig into businesses and ask them what would having more when i ask people what would having more resilience give you it's the same answers and that sense of safety comes up really really powerfully so when you know when we feel safe and we feel connected and we feel supported and we're not alone uh, we can relax we can let our guard down we can trust in our ability to connect and create which as you've also said we are we can allow the things that we are hardwired to do happen naturally and it's more about getting out of the way of that than doing anything differently. But for some reason, as you were saying, Helena, the minute we cross that threshold and walk into work, it, we enter a different world somehow. And yet when you talk to people, you say, well, but you're, you're you. You're you outside the door. Well, when we used to walk in through a door. Uh, and now you're you inside. So, so what has changed? And yet somehow these unwritten rules apply. Um, and that's, the, that, that's what I find fascinating about what, what you were saying about when you talk to people, it's all, it's natural, of course. Yes, this would, we'd get this and we'd get that and it would be amazing. And you go, okay, well, what's stopping you? And, and what's stopping us is, first of all, we can't even have the conversation uh, about what, Helena, what do you think is behind our inability to actually talk about love? You know, and you know, it's a great question. And the image that was coming to mind as you were talking about uh, um, it's quite innate. Um, one of the big pieces of development I did, and I did the, the teacher training, was something called the Hoffman process, um, a really deep dive, fabulous process. And they talk about um, 
um, sort of human nature and love and all our innate qualities. And they describe it as a, a, a spring, you know, bubbling up from the ground, pure, natural, just, you know, beautiful, natural, clean, fresh, pure spring. Um, but somebody's chucked crisp packets in there. They've chucked an old Tesco shopping trolley and then it's got clogged up with algae. And then somebody else has put some cans of empty cans of tenants and, you know, and some old bags. So it's, just, it's just, just all silted up. So what you were saying there, Justin, reminded me, it's almost like our work is to just kind of clear away some of that stuff. So who we are can, you know, bubble up. Um, yeah, it, it's just like, how do we get out of our own way, in, in a way? How do we clear, clear away all the stuff that we've just, I don't know, become socialized to do? That yeah. Isn't yeah, I wonder, I wonder what, um, what's changing then in our relationship with how we think about the world of work and our personal mm -hmm. life, because of course now, for for lots of us, I know I know this isn't true for everyone, um, but for people, for those of us on the call and who are working from home, that's that that door doesn't exist anymore. Now it's a metaphorical door, whereas before it was a literal door. So you would go, you would get to your place of work, you would have that transition phase from I'm at home, now I'm at work. But now that transition is invisible. It's you're literally one second you're sitting having your breakfast, the next second you spin your camera around and hi, you're at work. So I'm wondering whether people are, what journey people are going to be going on with, with that and whether it will be easier for us to have a, a, a gentler, more personal, um, more intimate conversation, I suppose, about, about love and the role it plays for us in our lives and the role it plays for us in our work relationships. Uh, I really, really flipping hope so, because <laughs> what I'm seeing, you know, of people's lives now is overwhelm and this intense compression where, you know, everything is just squeezed and compressed. And, and I don't think, you know, geologically, right, compression creates diamonds. I don't, I don't think it does in this case at all. It, it has a completely different effect. Mm. Um, but I think one of the things that I've, I often find interesting when I coach and I say to people, either what is it that you want or in this what is it that you need mm. how difficult that is for many people to answer um so often the answer is oh Matt, i don't i don't know um and one of the things i think i'm seeing um as a result of these last six months is people getting a bit more of a clearer sense of what they want and need you know a number of people have said to me um uh I don't want things to go back as they were before because what's become clear to me is what really matters to me and what really matters to me is X. I'm seeing a lot of that in, or in, a lot, in everything else as well. So I am really hoping that one of the things that comes out of this is, is allowing us to connect with, yeah, what really matters to us, who we really are. Um, I hope so. I absolutely hope so too. Yeah, and, and I wonder that maybe this is going to be one of the things we look back and go, oh, well, you know, that happened because of the situation we were all thrown into. That, that, and talk about doors again, that opened the door to this conversation because yeah. suddenly we were real people with real lives, with kids in the background, with, you know, unfinished painting on the half painted kitchen cupboards with, you know, whatever else was going on. Suddenly it's almost like the mask 
had dropped the veneer that we put on with the suit you were talking about Helena like that that wasn't there anymore and so suddenly everything started to slip and and that that's hopefully um an exciting an exciting conversation to start to have Emma and Belinda uh, what would you like to add or ask at this stage before we hand it over to our colleagues on the call um a great comment here from Laura thank you Laura saying there's a real danger of snap and we need to help our organizations realize it's not uh it's not going back the door's been opened and I think that I completely agree with that and just I guess just got so many things whizzing around in my head so I'm going to try and make sense of this but um as I said before there's this real golden opportunity to to really do something differently and I completely agree with you I've been fascinated for years around this whole idea that when you cross the the door the, the actual door at work you become a different person you behave in a different way and going back to kind of you know that the, the coaching side the psychology side you know we know what happens to human beings if they live a life without love it's it's not pretty and there's a whole load of experiments that we can show you on that it's not pretty nobody would want to go through their lives without experiencing love in its many different facets and forms. So why on earth would we not want that in the workplace? But it's such a, a new and novel idea. And Helen, I was fascinated by your research as Justice touched on this around, you know, the, how people are very uncomfortable with talking about love at work. Um, even saying the idea of being, you know, you know, let's create a culture where we, where we, we experience love is like, Oh, not sure about that. So I'm really interested in how we start to change that narrative, how we start to have these conversations, because again, from a neuroscientific point of view, the evidence is clear. When we experience love, it releases positive emotions, all those wonderful neurotransmitters and releases a whole load of brilliant outcomes for both us and our businesses. So why wouldn't we? And yet the minute you talk about it, people kind of go, and Justin's touched on this, but how do we go about changing the narrative? How do we go about having these conversations? Right. Oh man, there's so many questions in that. Um, and so I heard somebody say the other day, uh, it's, we don't have to love people in work, but we do have to act with love. And it's like, that's a difference. You know, I don't have to, yeah, I don't have to love everybody, although that's, we could debate that one as well, but I do have to act with love. So that's one thing. Um, another aspect of this, I think, is honouring the reasons why love may not be in, in some ways right or suitable or fitting for, for an organization. So the actor, Kenneth Williams, uh, was quoted as saying, love is the most awful invasion of privacy. It's like, <laughs> oh man, it is, it is. You know, so um, there is legitimately, I think, if we think of uh, you know, the origin of work, uh, you know, work hasn't been around that long actually, historically. Um, you know, it, it was very much separate from our personal lives. So I can understand that for many of us, it's like you're getting 10 hours or eight hours or however many, 14 hours of me. Um, I'm, I'm giving you all those hours. I'm giving you all of my head. You're not getting my heart. You know, so it's like I have to keep something for myself. I give you so much. I have to keep something. But so that I, I also want to honor that um, because it's not a um, it would be um oppressive into insist that you know we um we had to bring love into the workplace in in some ways because the other thing i was um i've been really interested about is this idea of um what's called slow trauma or adverse childhood experiences and what we're 
learning is that for between 40 and 60% of us as adults, as a child, we experience some form of ACE, adverse childhood experiences or slow trauma, which could be as every day, if you like, as um, poverty or economic hardship, parental divorce through to, um, you know, things like being in a family system with violence or alcoholism, abuse, uh, and then of course being abused. Um, so if you imagine that, so the theory goes that, uh, you know, a whole organization of adults, 40 to 60% of us are walking around with the wounds left over from the, those childhood experiences. And that then does something to our ability to connect with some emotions including love. So there is also some really interesting things to explore around um, trauma um, and the ways we have found to protect ourselves. Um, one of which is to, is to separate us, ourselves off from certain, certain of our inner parts, if you like, or our emotions. There's a great paper, I'll send it to you so you can sit around, on how um, organisational change um, re-triggers childhood trauma. <laughs> so it's like this paper would say, no wonder we get the responses we do to organisational change, because actually it's just re it's re-triggering all yeah. stuff that we've never, ever processed. Sorry, it's a very, very long answer. No, that's, 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 <laughs> I began to talk about the how do we begin conversations, yeah. Yeah, that is that is absolutely fascinating. No wonder pretty much 80% of change initiatives fail because yeah. that's big resistance you're going to be. That's unconscious resistance, isn't it, that you're going to be dealing with. Um, we had a lovely question, which, uh, Debbie, well done, you beat me to it. Uh, Katie, do you want to um, read out the question in the chat from Debbie for Helena? Yeah, of course. So Debbie asks, can you share how you define love in the work context as opposed to romantic love or familiar love? Yeah, lovely. Um, so when I started the research, I intentionally didn't provide a definition. Um, I wanted people to come at the word from the ground up, if you like. Um, so I'll share what the research showed in, in a tick. Um, and I'm definitely all about um, finding a way to define love or describe love anyway, that is free from or as separate as we can from religious, romantic, sentimental associations, because they're not super helpful in the workplace. So I'm after a kind of a secular take on it. Um, but what the research came up with was um, overwhelmingly people used the word care um, to define love. And in that kind of bucket was nurture, compassion, empathy. So care, nurture, compassion, empathy. That was overwhelmingly the, the strongest um, theme, if you like. Um, what came a strong second, um, I'm going to get the order of these wrong, but this was the second, was listening. Um, undivided, focused, dedicated, wholehearted, present listening. Uh, it's like not, you know, fiddling with, not taking the washing out, not, you know, typing another email, you know, open, present listening, full attention. That was seen as love. And once we start to think, ah, if that's how people see love, then it's easier for leaders to say, oh, I can learn how to do that. You know, it, it becomes less of an amorphous, this love thing, and oh, oh, I can do that. Um, so there was uh, care, there was um, um, listening, there was acceptance, something about, um, you know, accepting people for 
all of who they are, um, the shitty parts, the bad behavior, the awkwardness, the uh, warts and all. Um, and I've since written, you know, the need for radical acceptance, actually, because I know that I have to overcome quite a lot in myself to um, uh, accept, um, you know, other people and myself, actually. So acceptance was a big part, but then also um, something about boundaries, you know, that, that love wasn't only the kind of welcoming, inviting um, but part, but it was also the ability to, well, in organizational terms, um, give tough feedback, um, say no, say that's not okay. And again, I've gone on to write about how if we extend that, anger is also a legitimate part of love, you know, to, to, to really know what matters to you so that you are willing to stand and fiercely protect it and fight for it. You know? so, um, so, yeah, so you can see that, you know, that there's quite a, quite a, a bandwidth, if you like, um, in love. Yeah, hope that helps, Debbie. Yeah. Mm. yeah I, th I thought that that definition of radical acceptance was a really powerful way of combining those two aspects of 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 love if you like and you know how the the generosity that comes with acceptance right. is also tempered by the, the that radical quality of of um of of holding to holding to account that sense of you know of, of fierce love right. as well it's not you know, it's not soft and oh, lovely and warm. It's it's hard. It's a it's a. We did, um, Belinda, I'm thinking we talked about this the other week, didn't we? About the, the sort of the power of love, without wishing to coin a coin a phrase. Yes, it's this because the conversation we're having is very different from the images that are conjured up when we think about love. You know, it's fluffy, soft, warm, fuzzy. And actually what we're talking about is incredibly strong and robust. Mm. Um, I think that's stating the obvious, but I'm wondering in terms of the conversations around love, how we work with that tension between the image that people have and actually the reality of what it is that we're trying to folk to, to, to bring to life. Yeah. Yeah. I run a, a session, um, uh, a, wor a workshop, um, I don't know how it went in the old in the olden days when those things were around. And um, uh, I put up a slide that has these kind of clusters of, of definitional words. And um, initially, when I first sort of pulled those out of the research, I wasn't sure what value it would add. But what I notice is when I show that list, um, and and again, if somebody can make a note, I'll make sure I share that. Uh, this, this kind of deconstruction of love as per my research respondents, the number of people who said, oh my word, that is so useful because now I can see it deconstructed. I can see that it is doable and actionable and I do that, but I could do more of that. And it's almost like it lays out a syllabus. It's not quite right, but you know, a kind of a laundry list of ways that we can, we can be loving. Um, it, it, and in ways that, that sort of encompass um, the many dimensionalness of it. Yeah. So, so I was just thinking that, that, that came to mind, and I'm sure this will, this will be obvious to you, Helena, when you're talking about the radical acceptance and also taking the kind of very abstract concept of love and breaking it down is the role of diversity and inclusion. That's like mm -hmm. hot news at the moment. And 
we know from all the research that companies that get this right, you know, it's really good for, for everybody that works there, for business, for customers. And inclusion, genuine inclusion, is really about that radical acceptance, isn't it? And so I think that's something in there that I think going back to kind of putting my more commercial hat on, thinking about the sorts of companies that I might work with, say companies that got lots of engineers in, just thinking about how I could start to have these sorts of conversations with them. I think using the DNI agenda as a starting point could be really helpful. Just, I was thinking that through as you were talking. I don't know what everybody else thinks about that, but that could be a good starting point. I don't know if you've ever in your, I mean, I have read the research and it's fantastic and we'll share it afterwards, but the link is the DNI piece. Have you got any thoughts on that? Well, I'd love other thoughts on that actually. Where, where, um, what I've been pondering lately actually is, is just the, the deep inner honesty that's needed from each of us to really do that work, mm. to really uncover and be brave enough to name our unconscious biases really, um, is massive, massive work, let alone then the structural uh, work that needs to be done. You know, I, there's somebody who's been in my life for a few years who is, is here to teach me to be generous and kind and to, um, uh, and to be loving actually, because from a, a, um, a small DNI, her thinking and her ways of seeing the world are so different to mine and they don't agree with them and they don't like them and yet we are our lives are inextricably linked so i'm finding it really really hard to get over my own assumptions and biases and judgments and even in that tiny tiny example i'm really noticing um how much is there for me to do some work because I'm seeing parts of myself that I don't like, you know, the, the parts of me that are judgmental and mean and withholding and cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so, so yeah, I, and I'd love to hear more. It's not an angle that I've dived into, but yeah, what, what, where might other people's thinking go around the links between love and diversity and inclusion? It's a, it's a great inquiry. It's yeah. great. Yeah, no, I just something really resonated with me when you're talking then and kind of going slightly off tack, but I think it's all linked is the, the increasing um, prevalence of people, friends on social media who say, if you think this, I will unfriend you. And I have an absolute policy not to do that. And like you say, there are people who share some stuff and I'm like, oh, you know, and I absolutely have to make myself think, no, I'm going to keep talking to you because I want to kind of show you love. Not that I think of it in that way, but, you know, try and understand where you're coming from because I know you're not a bad person because you wouldn't be my friend if, if you were you know so that's I think that's a really really good point and I wonder if social media doesn't really help does it in terms of the DNI piece because it means we can surround ourselves in our echo chamber we can choose the, the, the voices we want to hear so it's not massively helpful so sorry slightly off track there but yeah DNI piece any thoughts um being Justin on that or, or anything else you want to pick up well my 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 thoughts are getting Drawn in a slightly different direction, actually, uh, away from from DNIB. Did did you have anything you wanted to jump in with? Yes, lots, and and, and nothing well formed. Um, I was listening to, and I'll put a link in it. I'll, I'll check on my phone for a moment. Podcast this morning. Uh, uh, Sandy, he's from Harvard, um, and his research into um, social inclusion and, and connect connections across groups and networks. Um, and his research and just 
was fascinating on this. This actually, it's what we know is that more diverse a group is the better it performs, and we know that. But his use of big, big data for looking at this was looking at actual. He said you can looking at mobile phone data and how it, people connect and go into different communities within a within a borough of London and how they connect and who they speak to outside of their usual group or bubble or network or whatever you know narrow group you want to put them in. The more connections outside of a group you have, the higher the correlation for greater economic growth, um, health, well-being, the number of startup businesses, everything, even to the point where he was saying that with big data, you can actually predict higher infant mortality rate in districts of London where there is less social integration between groups. And this is all, um, so this is related. It's like, I suppose I said it's ill-formed, but I'm really curious about love it's it's a dni conversation it's about love as a bridge yeah. it's you know we all yeah. stick in our bubbles you know whether it's generational class ge geography ethnicity whatever it is we stick in our bubbles so how can love help bridge those gaps really really lovely really lovely um and where i go to is um it, for me and this is such a simplistic way of describing it but um uh, you know it's it's uh, the opposite of love isn't hate it's fear you know, and then I go to this thing about fear. Well, we know this kind of with cortisol in our brains and stress, we, we can't think anything other than laser focused, right? We can only see this tiny bit in front of us. So fear makes us small and it contracts us and we shrink. Whereas love is about expansion, right? So love is about, um, as you were saying, and I think, you know, see, understanding the other person's story, why what's happened to them that makes them respond like this, you know, what being curious about the bigger picture. But likewise, I think the more we can connect to other people, you know, this thing about, you know, the biggest picture, um, what does the world need? Um, what is their view over there? But so, so the more we can expand um, in all directions, for me, that's what love is. Um, and I think our work is often to stop us, to stop ourselves contracting because I know for me, it's quite easy for me to shrink in and pull up the drawbridge. But I think uh, the invitation from love is to, is to not do that, um, which is flipping hard um, at times. So yeah, I think there's something in that, Belinda, about you know, reaching out and making connections and being actively curious. I think you know, love is, a, is an intentional choice and expansion is an intentional choice that we have to, I know I do, I have to keep front of mind the whole time. But being curious about what, what is their view? What is their life? You know, what do they want to need? How are they the same or different from you? Mm. Fascinating. Just, yeah. I, I love that. Thank you so much for this. We have another comment from, um, this one from Laura. Um, Laura, would you like to unmute and ask the question directly uh, to Helena? But the reason I'm asking is because I'm not quite sure it might need a little bit of clarification. Is that right? Sorry to put you on the spot. Oh, totally terrified. Okay. Um, well, hello. Um, and it was actually also picking up on, on what Belinda was saying. Yeah. Where, um, from the sort of community aspect and being able to track people. And it was, it's just something that's been playing on my mind for a while is about with being more virtual, you are more intentional in your interactions. You know, you have those very precise and specific times when you meet people you're not bumping in you know none of the water cooler moments none of the interactions on the train or the bus which are 
some of my greatest conversations, those unintentional sort of interactions. Um, but it means that you're actually getting less other input mm-hmm. and, and other perceptions. And I mean, one of the reasons for coming along to, to this event and, and uh, so on is, is to make sure that I sort of widen my network and get um, different perceptions or just sort of check my own as well. So, sorry, that was the, the meaning behind the statement. It wasn't in one way so much of a question. So, um, and sorry if it sounded a bit rambling, but that was the, um, the connection that this has all made really for me it is about that intentional piece that we need to try and make sure that we're listening to the others, the people that aren't in the room. Um, and how can we actually make sure that we're doing that um, and doing it with love if they're not necessarily in our, our orbit normally? Yeah. Uh, what, wow, what a great question. Um, who wants to answer that one? <laughs> that's, uh, that's, you know, this is the nature of the conversation. Um, thanks, Laura. And some apologies for picking on you, but I, I thought you'd cope fine and you did. Um, this is the nature of the conversation, Helena, that the question you asked before we came on air, so to speak, was, you know, how did this come about and why the four hosts? And it's for exactly that. It's because that can happen. Mm-hmm. Well, someone who's our participant on the call can ask a question that totally stumps us, <laughs> totally stumps us all, mm-hmm. because that's the nature of the conversation we're going through. We don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, my default answer for these is always, well, I look forward to seeing how we do it as humans because this is what we've always done. We, we find a way to get what we need from other people despite the seeming obstacles. We will, we will just find that way because as you talk about, Helena, we are hardwired to do that. We need each other, we need to connect. So despite the restrictions that are being put on our ability to connect in the normal ways at the moment, we will evolve to find those um, to those methods but I mean you know on one hand you might say well that's just dodging the question and you'd be right because I don't know I don't think any of us know yet um is is my response B um and Helena and, and Emma yeah, yeah well to, just to one of those things Laura you know um the tomorrow tomorrow Thursday tomorrow um there's a, a conference tomorrow an OD conference and I'm running a session in the afternoon and I've build it as an experimental session because I don't know either uh, it's about can we create loving connections online uh, with people we've never met before um, I have a hunch I think we can and I've, I've set up a kind of set of um, online ex- experiences um, in breakouts and in plenary and then we'll talk about did that you know, what did that do? Was any more love generated? I, I don't know. Because if, I think especially because we're online more, those tiny moments of, you know, oh, passing somebody saying, oh, I love that skirt you're wearing, you know, thank you. You know, they're just not there. Um, and I do think we need to put them front of mind because we lose so much um, in, around intimate connection. Uh, and those kind of love your skirt moments are moments of intimacy and they matter. Mm. So thank you. So that's a beautiful comment. Oh, I'm just desperate to know how, how that goes. So, <laughs> I'm not the right word. So keen to know how that goes. I, 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 I keep coming back to this metaphor that I, I think occurred to me right at the beginning of this, which is it's like we're, it, I think what we're, how we're living now and working now is like constantly driving round and round the M25. 
um, and never getting off versus taking a Sunday afternoon bike ride to the pub and going to see a friend. It's, it's like we're just in one lane and there is no opportunity for, I like your new skirt, as you say. And, and those are the moments of human connection that enable a different conversation to happen. And we need to find a way to build those in and get off the M25. We so do, that's so beautifully put. Um, we're, we are a slight different different perspective on that. Um, I think in some ways I've developed more of a connection with some of the people I've worked with since we've been online. Yeah. Um, we're having different conversations. We're in each other's homes. I'm not today. I'm in my office today. But and I might not be saying I like your skirt. But I'm going, oh, I love that picture. Or um, and I, you know, there's a story that I've told Helen, which everyone has heard of on, on the call probably, is when um, I was doing a, a webinar, not webinar, a workshop with, with about 60 people at Starbucks, and my youngest son came bounding in and gave me a big massive hug from behind and said, what are you doing, mama? And previous to, to what we're going through now, I'd have been mortified, and obviously it was acceptable. I said, oh, I'm just speaking to the lovely people at Starbucks, and oh, this is Teddy, my son. They went, hi, Teddy. And he said, oh, hi. We had a little bit of a chat. He said, I'll oh, see you later. And that definitely helped release more feelings of, I don't know if it's love, but connection and yeah. authenticity um, and compassion as well. Then before I would have been mortified, I would have kicked him out of the way and gone, shh, I'm on a call, you know. So it's that kind of, so I think in some ways, absolutely. He doesn't want to have a hug and a, be in person with someone. And I'm an extrovert, I, I'm struggling with lockdown. But in some ways, I think that I've definitely developed more of a connection with people online. So just a different perspective for you. Yeah, yeah. That, I think that came through as well when we did some work with um, some clients talking about their experiences um, during during lockdown. Um, it was a bit like of a networking session because they hadn't been together. They hadn't had their usual team away day. And they had said that actually they felt that they felt close to their team. And one of them found out that someone in their team had kids, didn't even know that they'd had kids previously because it, it had never come up in conversation. So they were getting to know each other much better. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I think there's a real distinction between the people who are doing back to back, almost like the internal consultant within an organization doing back to back Zoom meetings, which are totally M25, versus the people who are working in a team or I don't, I don't know, it's different, I suppose, obviously, isn't it? Different experiences. Yeah. And before I hand back to, to Justin to wrap up, Helen, I've got one question for you. I'm really intrigued. I know that you've got a new love and leadership program that's mm. about to start. Tell us a little bit about that. So I'd assumed that I'd uh, do more researching, I'd do more speaking, and I'd probably develop a, uh, an offering, you know, a kind of program, I don't know, sometime next year. And then, of course, everything got cancelled in the summer. So, and, and then online was available. And I thought, actually, why don't I develop a, a small offering now? So that was a great opportunity. It's my lockdown baby. So on Friday, last Friday, um, I began a six-week online at Leading from Love program, so three, six, um, six Fridays, um, just 90 minutes, um, uh, exploring these kind of questions. Uh, why does love matter? How do we start to talk about it in organizations? What kind of business case in commerce do we need to make for it? What blocks love in organizations? What enables it? Um, and with the view to this being a bit of an action research, um, uh, program. We'll talk about it and explore it for ourselves, but also people will do things in their organization to just create ripples. So for example, I've said, I've given everybody six copies of my research report. I'm saying uh, once a week, post one of these to somebody and say, I read this. 
I thought that was interesting. You know, you don't have to be an advocate for it. You can just say, I'd love your views. So, you know, you're just starting conversations um, about love in organizations, seeding, you know, the word love with people who wouldn't ordinarily use the word. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's just off, off week one, just off the starting blocks, but I'll probably run another one this side of Christmas, I hope. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to developing it into something more and bigger next year as well. So, yeah. So, so great to hear that that's happening. Thank you. Thank you, Helena. And how can people find out uh, about the course that's going to be starting, okay. the second course, and to how can they keep up with your research? What's the best platform for them to follow uh, you? Find me on LinkedIn. So Helena Clayton, just come and connect with me. That would be lovely. If you're on Twitter, I post stuff there. So at Helena Clayton. Um, but I guess the easiest way is to um, sign up for my newsletter. So I do a monthly newsletter, which usually has a main blog and then some other bits and pieces. Um, and you can get there via my website, I guess. So that's just helenaclayton.co.uk. That's probably the, the simplest way to to keep in touch but LinkedIn and Twitter also fantastic. I'll make sure that I add the link to um, to all mm -hmm. of that in the comms that go out to everybody afterwards that signed up via Eventbrite as well so if you've subscribed via Eventbrite we always send an email out afterwards with the recording and some extra resources so that'll be on its way to you all too. Great thanks Katie. Perfect cue Katie for me to remind people that you of course you're very welcome if you're watching this on YouTube or listening to it following uh, the, the uh, live recording on the podcast. But of course, if you sign up, you get all the goodies that go with it. You get a goodie bag. Goodie bags um, will be arriving in your email inbox over the coming weeks. And of course, the conversation evolves alongside the Reset Show. We are developing a, a particular, um, we're calling it roughly, we're still working title is the Reset Lab. So we're deepening this conversation, taking this offline and having a, a, a deeper conversation, uh, taking um, a more in-depth look at, at, the, at the topic as it evolves. Because as we've covered, um, this is about asking questions rather than finding answers at this stage. Helena, thank you so much from all of us from the three of us the four of us rather and of course from everyone who's watching whether they're watching live or on on youtube it's been genuinely an utter delight uh, to talk to you and a you know, personal note um i know it's been a um a, a particularly difficult day for you so thank you thank you for joining us You're and welcome. Would you please come back and, and tell us when you find some answers? I would definitely love to. This research is ongoing and I would love to share more of it as it evolves. So yeah, I would, I'd be delighted. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to do what we call in the trade a hospital pass and ask Belinda to give us a one line summary of who is coming up as our guest on the show number six, which is happening in two weeks time. Thank you very much. So two weeks time, October the 7th, we have Heather McGowan, who is an internationally recognized keynote speaker on the future of work and the future of learning. Um, she's got a fabulous book out at the moment called The Adaptation Advantage, which I thoroughly recommend reading. And yeah, absolutely delighted that she's gonna be joining us. And you can sign up, as Dustin said, on Eventbrite for that. So you get all the goodies and the reminders and the calendar invite. 
Thank you so much. So from us all here at People Lab and Fathom XP and Everyday Resilience and Helena Clayton and our lovely guests and participants, particular shout out to Laura for joining the conversation. Thank you very, very much. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Take care, everyone. Bye bye.